Welcome to episode 33 of the Double Scoop Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Glick, and today we're exploring an artistic tradition that's been around nearly 95 years and is still going strong to this day. The goods are still built the exact same that they were in 1929. That's John Wright. He is the co-owner, along with his wife Susan, of J.M. Capriola's company in Elko. The company designs, builds, and sells handmade custom saddles, bits, spurs, and western gear for ranchers and working cowboys. The tools are all still the same um, to give the definition, to uh, give the highs and the lows. Uh, the, The trees that our saddles are built on are still wooden trees covered in rawhide, so that has not changed. The leather is still tanned the exact same way um, that it was tanned that long ago. The tradition began in the late 1800s by G.S. Garcia, who first started making artistic and functional gear for the Vaqueros of San Luis Obispo, California. Garcia moved to Elko, but eventually retired, and a new shop was founded by one of his apprentices, a man named Joe Capriola. Since then, the shop has gone through multiple owners, passed down through the Capriola family, and eventually sold to John Wright's grandparents in 1958, and it's been with his family ever since. But it was in 2012 when John's wife Susan became a key member of the store, following the passing of John's mom. That was when John came home one day and he said, I'm going to need you to come and help me at the store. And so I had never worked in this industry, so I had to completely change my focus and learn an entirely new career, and I did. Susan was working as a nurse, and the transition those first few years was pretty rough. The couple had to work through not only business challenges, but relationship and family challenges too. They were raising two young children, who were both teenagers now, and running a business, all while creating functional and beautiful art. It's a lot of work, but for John and his family, they say it's worth it. For us, it's, it's a legacy, and that's what we want to continue. So, to learn more, I met up with the Wrights at J.M. Capriola's company. The historic two-story building on the corner of 5th and Commercial Streets in Elko has a full gift shop downstairs and a mini-museum and workshop upstairs, where guests can peek in and see how saddles and other pieces are being made. Above here, so we're upstairs um, on the second story at Capriola's, and you can see we have a, a mini museum as what we would, I guess, refer to it as, but all of these saddles, they're all labeled and they go all the way around the room. So everything that we do is all handmade, custom made, one person, uh, one at a time from bits and spurs to saddles to wallets, shaps. I mean, if you can imagine it to be fabricated or built out of steel or silver or leather, um, we are the go-to place uh, in Nevada. We are the oldest Western store uh, in Nevada. These saddles, when before prior to them being put up on here, they were in use at some point, wherever they came from. So they're all still, maybe a handful of them I would not want to use, but say that kid's saddle right there, it's from 1920s. I could pull that down, clean it up, and we'll go through it and make sure, and we could probably put a kid in it if, if need be. And that's 100 years old. No saddle that we build is ever identical. So we don't have templates for everything to where we put this down. All of the floral work that's on here is all hand drawn on. 
everything that we do is a functional art is what we basically like to call it. Everything that we build tells a story. It has a relationship. So when you custom make something for a person or if a person has a design and, and you bring it to reality for them, it just ties the piece into the person that is going to receive it. And uh, I think they hold a lot more sentimental value. All of the items that we build, I say, are even heirlooms. Uh, so some of the stuff that was built in 1929 is still here, still functional. We like to also say is you could buy quality or you can buy quantity. And in this industry, yes, it does cost more, but you're getting something that's going to last generations to pass down. And just knowing the story that your great-grandpa had it and he passed it down to his grandpa and, and, and so on down the, the lineage, um, it, it makes it really unique that you know that you're building something that will last a lifetime. When you're making things, how do you balance the artistic side of things with the, with the functional side of things? I imagine you've got to always make sure functional it's always functional first, right? Function is priority. Um, that's the same with our saddles, the bits and spurs, anything that you do. There's people that can go through and make a masterpiece. They can carve a beautiful saddle or they can build the most beautiful bit. But if it's not a functional item, if it doesn't have the foundation behind it, it's a wall hanger. You know, it may be pretty on the outside, but knowing what goes into the interior of it um, in the belly of the beast, it has to all work. So for us, you know, Susan being a horsewoman, I'm a horseman, riding and knowing your products, using them on a daily basis, we know what is functional, what is not, how proportions need to be done. And so there's a lot of people out there that they have the skill set to build the items, but they don't have the relationship to put them to use. Everything that we build is functional art. It is beautiful, but it is an art piece, whether you can use it or you can hang it on the wall, that it's a dual purpose. I was thinking of a car almost as, a, as an example. It's like you could buy a shiny, fancy sports car, but if it has a bum transmission, like, man. You, you know, buy the most beautiful house on the block, but if its foundation starts to crumble, that house is worthless. Same thing with, I would say, a saddle. Uh, when John talks about our trees being made exactly the same way they were over 100 years ago, it's the truth. People did and have tried to reinvent the wheel um, when it comes to trees, which is your foundation of your saddle, and they've, they've gone with a multitude of different options. Um, some have worked good and some haven't worked so well. How much has this store changed, I guess, in the hundred years? Like, have you had to adapt and try different things to adjust? Or is it because it is such useful gear that is ingrained in a lifestyle that, you know, you haven't had to adjust as much. It's just high quality, I guess. Can you just speak to that a little bit? So the goods are still built the exact same that they were in 1929. Uh, the, the trees that our saddles are built on are still wooden trees covered in rawhide. So that has not changed. The leather is still tanned the exact same way um, that it was tanned that long ago also. So on the leather and the saddle aspect, still to this day, they're all built one person at a time. The tools are all still the same. As far as bits and spurs, we've come a long ways since then. 
Uh, everything was forged. Now it can be welded I'm with TIG welders. So we've we've strengthened things. The steel is superior. You're not using coin silver any longer like they were in the 20s. You're using 925, which is the purest form of silver that you can get now. And the gauge of the silver is it's well, as dense or as thick as it as it was then. Even though the price point's much more different, we're still using the same integrity when it goes to fabricating those pieces. Has there ever been a moment, I guess, where you felt some pressure to like, oh man, we need to we need to optimize this, we need to speed things up, or anything like that, or is it always just like, no, we're we're staying true to what what we do? That's something that we are always pressed with um, trying to keep up production as far as our saddles and to get the, the numbers out there and, and uh, to get saddles done, to get bits and spurs done. You want to get as many done as you can, and we, we strive to do our best. But on the other hand, we don't want to sacrifice any of the integrity that goes into any of the items by trying to mass produce them to, to get them out faster. I'm not only in the leather shop, uh, carving leather, building items there. I'm building bits and spurs, answering phone calls. And so I'm kind of pulled in different directions so I don't get the volume that we really need done because being an owner, you have to be able to put out fires, you have to multitask. Um, that's where Susan has really come in and stepped up for me, um, being able to free me up to try and keep me making money for the store, keeping me to the grindstone and, and try and get as much cranked out as I can. More of the Double Scoop podcast after this short break. Have you noticed a change in Reno lately? I sure have. Well then, keep up with the movers and shakers and unique people of Reno by listening to the Our Town Reno podcast, where we discuss helping each other out. New episodes play every week and feature real Reno stories told by us, the people who live here. Listen in. If you're enjoying this interview and you'd like to support the Double Scoop podcast, the best way to do that is to become a recurring member. Just look for the red button on our homepage at doublescoop.art. That's doublescoop.art. Memberships start at $5 a month, and if you sign up at that level, we'll send you a Double Scoop t-shirt. You can also make a one-time donation on PayPal or Venmo, on the Buy Me a Coffee platform, or right from our website. When you support Double Scoop, you're investing in quality local arts journalism for Reno, Las Vegas, Elko, and the rest of Nevada. Thank you. It's the Double Scoop Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Glick. And I'm chatting with John and Susan Wright, owners of J.M. Capriola's company in Elko. In this part of our conversation, we talk about the challenges of running a business while maintaining a marriage and raising a family. You mentioned this, you're the third generation uh, of ownership here in the store. What does that mean to you to, to be able to keep this going, keep the tradition alive and to have that in your family? Is that is that an important thing to you? It's always been a, an important thing for me. I mean, I grew up in this business from playing in the leather shop and, and uh, you know, hiding in the clothes and just being around and going on the road um, with my family to go sell our goods, whether we went to uh, Australia or Europe to 
different shows and, and just to travel the whole country and be able to be with your family while you do it and to sell the goods that were made in your family's business. And then for, for me to grow up, you know, selling them and then learning to manufacture and produce all of the, the same goods um, one at a time. So it's, it's a big thing. Uh, I recently, we talked to another gentleman and he brought it up to me and I didn't really notice, but he said it's always the third generation that loses a family business. For us, the future looks quite bright, honestly. Um, we have two children and uh, both of our children are very artistic and uh, you know i can see the interest that they have my son works with me in my silver shop basically when he gets out of school on a daily basis he comes in i've taught him how to engrave silver and steel and to fabricate to make items to make jewelry so you know he and his sister would be the fourth generation if they so choose to continue but uh, my mom always had an influence saying there's not very many businesses that can continually be in business for over, you know, 100 years. And so for us, you know, 1929 is the start. Um, we're not too far off from making 100 years. And that is a goal that my wife and I have right now is to continue doing everything that we are doing you know, making our hundred years and, and going from there and then passing it down to our kids if they have the desire to, to continue it. Um, but for us, it's, it's a legacy and that's what we want to continue. It's been a family business for John's side of the family since 1958 when his grandparents purchased the company from Joe Martin Capriola. And it inevitably ended up with John's mom and dad and his mom and dad owned and ran the business for 20 some odd years. Yeah. And then we lost John's mom in 2012. I worked in the medical field prior to that. And um, that was when John came home one day and he said, I'm gonna need you to come and help me at the store. And so I had never worked in this industry, so I had to completely change my focus and learn an entirely new career, and I did. You said that you'd switch from a medical career to come over here. What was the biggest surprise, or what, what's the, what was the hardest thing to learn, I guess? Oh, that was an intense transition, because you go from working in a career where you have security, you have a job, you know that you have an education in that field, that you can have a, a solid income, that you could pretty much go anywhere in the United States and know that you could get a job. Working for yourself is not that easy. And for as glorious as it may look on the outside, it is extremely difficult because you, you live that 24-7. And with that being said, we had to basically create guidelines. When I basically asked Susan or I didn't really give her a choice because I said, you know, if, if this if this business is going to continue, I can't play all the roles. I cannot be the the person that does the books. I can't stop and answer phones all the time. I can't do this. I can't get the production. Was I was overwhelmed. And I just, I said, I need somebody. And she came in, but I told her in the beginning, 
work stays at work. It doesn't come home. That was a hard part for her to to grasp. Because at that point, my security blanket, my sense of security for working for somebody else was no longer there. I was working for myself and I was dependent upon myself to generate an income, not only for our family, but for the 10 other families that work here. And to make sure that, you know, they were able to support their households along with ours and, you know, purchasing the business from his dad, we still had to pay for the overhead of that. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of emotion. Without going, you know, without getting too personal or going into any details, what what were, I guess, what's the, one of the biggest takeaways that you've learned just uh, from working together that has helped you guys work together and, and have a happy life together too? So my main thing that comes up is neither one of our jobs are more important than the other one. I'm no more important than her. We both have, I say, equal roles. Mine is a little bit more glamorous, I think. And she says that every now and then, that she's jealous because I can check out and do the artist thing and, and go do my creative. my creative <laughs> part, you know. But even when we go home at night, our kids will ask, hey, Dad, will you draw with us? <laughs> and so the the drawing for John is... A, di- a totally different type of artistry. It's the scroll work and it's the floral work. And the, it is a skill set to be able to have your tooling or engraving patterns flow because you can't just draw something and expect it to flow automatically. You have to, in your head, have something mapped out in your mind before you place it on that piece of silver or place it on that blocked piece of wet leather. That's an expensive canvas, essentially, is what it is. And you have to have that artistic mind to know what you're envisioning and what your final product's going to be. So he's teaching our children at home, and they are almost 16 and almost 18 now. And he's always been that dad. So when we leave here, we can go home. We have a gigantic island, kitchen island, and John and the kids will sit there and draw, I'll cook dinner, um, and it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's peaceful. I'll ask you each both, um, what does art mean to you? Art's something that uh, it's always been involving, whether it's watercolors or acrylics or leather or silver, it's the lifeblood of today's economy and to see everybody's own take on art. Everybody's an art connoisseur, whether you know it or not. For us, art is ever-evolving. We have to try and appeal to so many different people. It is the lifeblood of our business. It is. It truly is. It, you know, People may look at the outside of this building and see that it's been here 94 years. Um, we're still family-owned and operated. But art in itself is the lifeblood of this business. And without that art, I think you would lose interest on just the basics. Nothing plain... Nothing plain here. No, there is nothing plain here. That was my conversation with John and Susan Wright, owners of J.M. Capriola's company in Elko. You can learn more about the store, the history, and their process at their website, capriolas.com. You can also find them on social media. They're on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. But to really appreciate the history and the artistry, it's best to see it in person yourself next time you're in Elko. And of course, we have pictures and more information at our website, doublescoop.art.
Thank you for listening to this edition of the Double Scoop Podcast. This episode was produced in conjunction with Divergent Point Media. More info at divergentpointmedia.com. Our theme music comes from Reno singer-songwriter Greg Gilmore from his song, Who Am I? You can find more episodes of the Double Scoop Podcast on our website, doublescoop.art, and on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. I'm Noah Glick, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>